So I woke up, I guess, Saturday morning after Passover last week, and um, I don't really write a whole lot. And um, but I woke up with a thought on my mind, and and I just started writing, and, and a pretty good bit of thing come up. So I decided just to read what was downloaded, you know, just kind of as an opening, and um, maybe for somebody. I mean, I know it was for myself. Um, but I got to thinking about the disciples, and and how, you know, after Yeshua's arrest and crucifixion, you know, how much disappointment they probably felt, and. You know, when their expectations of what they were hoping for didn't become their reality, they were overwhelmed with disappointment by his arrest. They had hoped that they that he would overcome Rome and establish a new kingdom. I'm just going to read what I wrote. Um, and now their hope had vanished. They were probably filled with fear for their own future. And it's easy for me to condemn those disciples, but how often does this happen to me when my expectations are met with a harsh reality that sometimes life just has disappointing moments. Amen? Some moments that we wish probably wasn't a part of their, our reality, just like the disciples and even Yeshua really hoped that this wasn't part of his reality because he even prayed in the garden if it was any way possible that it could pass. What did he pray? Lord, let it pass, but nevertheless, your will be done. Um, so it's in moments like these when we all have a choice to make. Let that sink in for a second. We all have a choice to make when things don't really work out the way we were expecting. Amen? You know the statement that Paul makes, first the natural, then the spiritual. I'm going to ask that we put on some spiritual glasses this morning as we go on a short journey. And because one thing that I know is everybody within the sound of my voice, whether it's in this room or playback on the camera later, every one of us has faced an Egypt in our life a place of bondage. And, and if you hadn't, let's make room for the front row for all of y'all because I need some of that anointing to get up here. Come on. Sometimes, and this is one of the things that, that he downloaded in my heart, sometimes we put ourselves into bondage through our sins or our actions. Sometimes we're in bondage through a Pharaoh of no fault of our own. But let me tell you something. The answer to both of those issues and both of those bondages, the deliverance is the same. The answer is always, has been, and will forever be the blood of the Lamb. The choice that we have to make is remembering the reason that we were all put on this earth. We were put on this earth to do one thing, to bring Him glory. Amen? If y'all don't mind, before I get started, I want to read a little short prayer. Um, cause, and, and this is probably more for me, but it may, it may speak to somebody. And it's, and it's simply this. I don't know about y'all. I've spent a lot of my life from childhood really in self-centered emotions. And if you can't relate to that, we'll talk later and I'll explain to you what I mean. Bondages in my mind have molded me into an unpleasant person. The older I've got, the more unpleasant I felt. So giving him some glory for me helps keep my perspective in line. And I just want to read a little short prayer. It says this, We shall sanctify your name in this world, 
just as they sanctified in heaven above. That is, as it is written by your prophets, one angel will call to another and say, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh. The world is filled with His glory. Blessed is the glory of Yahweh from His place. And in your holy writings, the following is written. Yahweh shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, from generation to generation shall reign forever. Hallelujah. So, let's turn to Exodus chapter 13. So everything that we read today, I'm going to try to be as quick as possible. This is four days worth of stuff, trying to condense it in three hours, so y'all just bear with me. So everything I read, I want us to listen to it from that perspective that Paul gives. Hear the natural, but I want us to try to relate it to something spiritual in our life. So in Exodus 13, I'm going to read verse 3 and 8. And it says this, Moses said to the people, excuse me, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Excuse me. By a powerful hand, Yahweh brought you out from this place, and nothing leaven shall be eaten. Let's jump down to verse 8. And you shall tell your sons that on that day, saying, what? It is because of what Yahweh has did for me. It's what he's did for us when we came out of Egypt. For what we, why we're doing what we do right now. So I want to ask you a question. If we were commanded to rejoice and remember the day that we were set free from the natural Egypt, because these are our ancestors, this is our history. If we were commanded to remember that, how much more, sh- more should we rejoice and remember the day that Yahweh freed us from our bondage? Egypt being synonymous with sin... It says we're to make a memorial of it. You know, it's not a small thing. It was not a small thing when he freed them from Egypt. When he came in, he done something that had never happened before. Came in and took a nation out of a nation. And destroyed their power. How much bigger is it when he frees us from sin? Did you get that? How big of a deal is it? How big of a deal is it when he frees us from our bondage? We're to celebrate our freedom. You think about the If Yahweh saved that family member that you've been praying for for years, or if you were a drug addict or an alcoholic and Yahweh saved you out of that, If He freed you from depression or anxiety or any other things, if He's restored relationships in your life, if He's restored your marriage, if He has restored your your health, don't cry over the years it was lost. We are to praise Him for, it says, the day that He delivered us. And when I got to look at that a little bit closer, He didn't tell them to remember the details of their bondage. He told them, Mark, to remember the day what? That I led you out. Somebody needs to hear that. We are to celebrate when others are freed. I'm going to read Luke 15, 6 and 7. Y'all don't have to flip there, but if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Because even the angels in heaven 
rejoice at the repentance of a sinner. This is the story about the lost sheep when it taught when Yeshua was telling them that a man had a hundred sheep and one was lost and he went after him. Remember that? Look what it says in verse 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. Why? For I have found that sheep that was lost. I tell you in the same way that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 righteous that needs no repentance. That's a hard statement to grasp from the natural eye. Let's go back to, I'm, I'm going to flip back to Exodus. Go to verse 17 in chapter 13. And it says this, Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, Yahweh did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Some versions say he did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, even though it was near or closer. For God said the people may change their mind when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence, Yahweh led the people by way of the road to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up in battle array from the land of Egypt. Tammy, this is what I shared with you the other day. The wilderness, believe it or not, is a place. When you, when you look at why he done what he done, why he took them the long route. It was a place of mental protection for them. It's a place where we have to learn to trust him. A training ground to be able to battle wars in our mind in the future. Psalm 106, I'm going to bounce around a little bit before we land where we're going to go. I just want to read a few scriptures here. Sorry, my mouth is extremely dry for some reason. One oh six verse seven, eight, and nine. It says, Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. I like the way the NIV translates this. It says, They gave our fathers in Egypt gave no thought to your miracles. They forgot your abundant kindness. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his power known. Thus he rebuked the Red Sea and dried it up, and he led them through the deeps. That's what we just sang about. That was a good song. He led them through the deeps as through the wilderness. So it's believed and taught that this day, the last day of unleavened bread, is when they went to the shores of the Red Sea. Okay, And this is the day that, he let, that they crossed, and he led them across it. If that's the case, in one week, one week they forgot his many miracles. One week. Let that sink in for just a second. In one week they forgot his miracles. You think that's why we're told over and over and over in the scriptures to remember? Before they even rolled out of Egypt, he told them twice in the Passover story or in the, in the week of unleavened bread. He told them twice to remember their deliverance. Remember the day that I freed you. Because what's the chances that in a week's time, 
we can forget if we don't remember his goodness. Because it says they forgot his kindness and they, they did not remember. And that forgetting caused them to rebel. Then verse 9 says he rebuked the sea. And see, the Red Sea, when you look at it, was such a significant event in our history. In the ancient East, and I had an article and I forgot to bring it in. I was going to read a little bit out of it. But waters are often associated with chaos and disorder, right? So when you look at that and you think about that, and you look at how the Red Sea is mentioned, I think it's in Acts and in Hebrews and maybe a few more places, in context with a new creation, I see this, this crossing event so much bigger now than I've ever seen it before because he, in context of a new creation, he's turning our chaos into order. Amen. We may face the chaos. We're going to face some chaos. But we don't have to forget his miracles when we do. And in verse 9 where he says he rebuked, I'm going to steal from Mark for a second. Where have we seen this before? Let's look at Matthew chapter 8. Starting in verse 23. When you get there, say we're there. I'm going to read verse 23 through 26. It says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the what? So that the boat was being covered with waves, but Yeshua himself was where? And they came to him and woke him up, saying, Save us, Lord, for we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? With a question mark. Then he got up and he what? He rebuked the winds and the sea. And what happened? Became perfectly calm. When you, and you, you think about the irony of this situation right here. This is, these guys just gave up everything to follow him. A few verses before you read where one wanted to go bury his father. Um, and these guys left their jobs. They left their homes to follow him. And then immediately... They get in a boat, and what happens? A storm hits. See, in our life, we want to avoid that, right? We want to avoid storms. But sometimes He won't let us, if that's what it takes to show His glory in our life. I need to rebuke the winds of my mind sometimes. I fought this most of my life. And I'm starting to see so clearly now how simple it really can be. It's a perspective more than it is power on my part. Because if I can rebuke winds and the chaos in my life, His Holy Spirit can keep me calm. And then when He asks them, why are you afraid? Where have we seen this before? Wind, waves, chaos. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 14.
I'm going to read verse 4 real quick. It says, Thus I will harden, we're taking a journey up this road to this ocean. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after him. And what? I, I will be honored. The NIV, I, it's, it's, it's beating the NAS on this one for sure. It says, I'm going to gain glory for myself. What did I say earlier? Why are we put here? To bring glory to what? His name. And he's using Pharaoh to do it at this moment. And as he leads them down this desert road to the sea, how many believe that Yahweh knows what he's doing in our life? He knows what he's doing. He's known from the beginning of time what he's doing. And Brad Scott, what he used to say, Yahweh is smarter than we are. Every time I get in trouble, it's because I think the opposite. He had to lead them through this water to bring them into freedom. How many believe he wants our full freedom? He don't want us half free. Because getting out of Egypt is only step one. It's a big step, but it's only step one. I stole a few quotes from another preacher. I'll leave him unnamed. But um, he says, Yahweh wants, of course, he said, the Lord wants our freedom so much that he's willing to move mountains to do it. He's willing to split an ocean to get us on the other side, to get us through it. And this is the quote that I stole from him. He wants us free more than he wants us happy. He wants our freedom more than he wants me comfortable. Can I repeat that? He wants our freedom more than he wants to keep me happy. Because happy is nothing but a feeling. And he wants my freedom more than my comfort. So in that, sometimes that means that He will even allow us to go through some pain to get that freedom. We don't like pain. Or at least I don't. I'm feeling some right now on my back. I don't like it. But sometimes that pain is there for our good. Remember Paul asking Yahweh to remove that thorn? Does a thorn hurt? We don't know what that thorn was. But there was something in his life that he asked him three times to remove. Yahweh told him no. Quit jumping in. You're stealing my stuff. I guess we're reading the same Bible. So... What if that thorn is there to keep us humble? Any source of pride in our life. Men, listen up. Any source of pride in our life that is removed, we need to be thanking God that we lost it. We have got to be okay with Him telling us no. In verse 10, 
Exodus 14, it says, As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became frightened. So the sons of Israel did what? They cried out to Yahweh. And so if you put your spiritual glasses on for a second, these Egyptians can represent something. Represent many things. It depends on what you want to draw from it. But it can represent something that's more powerful than them. It can represent our way of our old way of life. It can represent things in our past. And when they look back, because if you notice in what verse 8, it says they were marching out with boldness. They were doing good in their mind until they saw that reminder. Until the Egyptians and that power that they couldn't overcome without a mighty act of Elohim, when they looked back and saw that, and they saw their past behind them and in front of them, what they have? They had waters of chaos in front of them that they couldn't conquer. That's a scary spot to be. In the physical, could you imagine what that feeling would have felt like? Some of us may be in that spot right now in our life where you've got a Red Sea standing between you and your freedom. You've already been delivered, but you've got a sea standing between you and your full freedom. That Red Sea may be in your mind. You know how powerful our mind is? Powerful enough that it's mentioned many times in the Scripture about having to cast it down. Having to cast down vain imagination. Having to cast down anxieties. And see, we live in a culture where we just accept that that's just how we feel. But you know, there's something physical sometimes we've got to do. I can control what's in here. If I exercise it the wrong way, guess what's going to win every time? The bad side of my mind. But I do have the ability. If, if it wasn't, he wouldn't have told us over and over to guard your thoughts and to guard your mind and to guard your heart. Where are we at? Our perspective can influence our perception of reality. As I said earlier, our life, my life has got to be bigger than myself. It's got to be about His glory. Sometimes we spend way too much time living in the past, living in moments. No matter if it was 40 years ago or two weeks ago, we spend so much time in our mind, in our thoughts, and we get bogged down, and, and, we, and we seem to live there. And like I said earlier, we live in such a self-centered culture. Do y'all believe that our culture is probably the most self-centered that's ever been in existence when everything is about me? Everything. When you look at biblical narratives... All through the scripture, they're full of exiles and exoduses. When you look at the parallels to them. And there always seems, in every narrative, there's always an enemy at the gate that stands between our full freedom and the promised land. Can y'all see that? And I'm telling you, I've said it already, our biggest enemy that we face today is in our mind. It's the enemy in our own mind. You remember that book, Scott? Battlefield of the mind, that's a good one. If you're in a spot in your life where you feel hurt or hopeless, or any emotion that our human 
hormones can produce, do you realize that Yeshua felt every one of those? He felt every emotion that you've ever felt in your life. He's felt it. He felt the weight of the entire world's sins on him. It's hard enough to bear our own sins sometimes. Can you imagine having to bear the weight of all the generations and how that felt so bad that it even caused blood to pour through the pores of his skin? That stress and anxiety of feeling that weight on him? Every step of our journey is about trusting in him and not in ourselves. When you think about it, like I said, they was marching out boldly. And when they looked back and they saw those Egyptians, they became frightened, it says. They became discouraged. Do you know that, or do you believe, I know you know, but do you believe that it was by His stripes that every one of us was healed from all of our infirmities, our sins, our sickness, our spiritual sickness? It was by His stripes. And you know, He healed us not to walk around wounded. He healed us to walk around healed, Brother Arnold. He didn't create us to walk around with open wounds all the time. You think about Him, His scars didn't go away. He still had the scars, but they wasn't open. That means they were healed. He, didn't, he did not heal us to walk around wounded. Let's go to verse 13. This is where it starts getting good. Got my running shoes on. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 8 when that question was asked, why are you afraid? And where have we seen this before? Look what Moses tells them in verse 13. He says to the people, do not fear. Because why? Their fear caused doubt. Our fear causes doubt. Even though we may believe that Yahweh was going to deliver us, but if we allow fear to get in our mind, if we allow memories to get in our mind, just like they did when they saw those Egyptians, what happened? They went from bold to weak, to frail, frightened, scared, haunted, discouraged, and a moment's notice their boldness changed. He says, "Why are you?" He says, "Do not fear, but stand by and see the salvation of Yahweh, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians which you have seen today, you are never going to see again forever." Come on and shout about that one, because Yahweh will fight for you while you keep silent. And you think, don't be afraid is easier said than done. Whenever you're standing and you're staring at that chaos in front of you. If you. Could you imagine Israel literally thinking, Stu lost his mind. Telling me not to be afraid. It's easier said than done. Especially when that sea looks like checkmate. When that sea looks like checkmate, how do you feel? You think you always got another move? When, when Moses told them to stand firm, it's because Yahweh's getting ready to move. He's getting ready to move. He 
He's already moving in our lives. He's been throwing words out for weeks. Stand firm, because I'm getting ready to move. And then in verse 15, remember Moses told him, don't move, be still. Yahweh said what? Why are y'all crying? Why are you still crying out to me? Because you think about it. He already told them, I seen. When they cried out to him when they were in Egypt. Before he sent Moses, what did he say? That I see your bondage. I see your misery. And let me tell you something. We were not created to stay in a state of mourning. He even had a time allotted when a death happened. Listen to me. Because he's smarter than we are and he knows the effects that it has on us inside of our body that we can't see. He created us to give life to those around us. What does fruit do, Arnold? Produces life. He created us to give life to our spouse and our children and those in our community. And I have no idea where this came from. And even when I was reading it last night to Terry, I I have no idea what you can't give life if you're a dried up stump means. It's got to be an old 1800 southern slang thing, but you cannot give life if you're a dried up stump, can you? He always allows us a short season for mourning and crying out, but I'm telling you, we cannot stay there. We cannot stay there because the longer we stay, you're going to start losing trust in Him. You're going to lose trust in His delivering power. And I'm going to tell you something, the narrative of the Scripture is very clear. That when you start losing trust, makes him angry. Thank goodness he's merciful, huh? But let's look at 15 again. Verse 15. Yahweh says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to move forward. Moses told them to stand still. Yahweh told him to move forward. And this is the word I came to give you this morning. It's already been given to me. It's to move forward. Tammy, this goes along with what you said the other night at Passover. And all this stuff was wrote down in March. And we have not talked, Scout's Honor, that our time of mourning is about over with. You have to make the choice To walk across that sea. Yahweh tells them to move forward. You may be standing there right now. With chaos going on in your life or in your mind. But Yahweh is behind you. He's behind you. And I heard a preacher preaching on this subject. Use the analogy of. How many if you're sitting at a red light. And you're behind somebody. And that light turns green. 
How long do you give them before you honk? Not very long. I'm about a half a second. Can't you see Yahweh almost getting behind them and honking that horn and saying, Come on, what are y'all crying about? I've already showed you my salvation. You've got to move forward. You're not created to stand in this spot crying. We can't stand like them on, the, on this shoreline grieving over the things we may have lost when we walked out of Egypt. Because if you're still grieving over what you lost, maybe you need to change your paradigm. Don't start missing them melons and cu- cucumbers and garlic. Is anything wrong with a melon or a cucumber or a garlic? What's the message there for us? That sometimes you got to leave things that you love in Egypt. Because whatever that thing may be in your life, and I don't know what that thing is in your life, that may be the, and it, like again, it's like I said, nothing wrong with a melon. But whatever that thing you may have to leave, that may be the very source of the pride in your life. To remind you again of what Paul prayed for, about the thorn being removed. Why do you think Yahweh left that thorn on him? To keep him humble. You're seeing, you know, I think that one of Paul, if you, when you read through all of his, his letters that he wrote, you don't have to be a theologian to be able to pull out that I think one of the sources of his pride in his life was his vast knowledge of the Word. His vast knowledge that he, you think about he, he was speaking to people mostly that were illiterate. And this guy was one of the most highly educated, probably in Greek philosophy, Torah, whatever Talmuds, whatever they had, he was a scholar. And I think that one of his things could have been, according to some of the things he wrote, that that was one of the things that was, a, that was a source of pride for him. So whatever that thorn that Yahweh gave him was something to keep him in a humble state. Do y'all believe that? And I wrote this this morning. The scenery for us may change, but His grace is sufficient. Amen? Let's don't be the ones that we see in Psalm 106 talking about that does not regard his miracles. Because sometimes that miracle not going to happen until you walk into what you fear. Can I say that again? Sometimes that miracle, got one cheerleader here, is not going to happen until you walk into what you fear. They feared the sea. They feared the Egyptians. What did Yahweh tell them? Move forward. Stole another quote. Their faith had to be in their feet. They had to get them feet in gear to get across that sea. They wanted to stand there and cry. They've already been delivered without any effort of their own, correct? Even one verse ahead, what Moses tell them? Stand still and watch the salvation of Yahweh and just stand firm. Yahweh said, get them feet moving. And he's honking and he's telling some of us it's time to move forward. 
I can receive it. It's time to move forward. We've stood here long enough. Your freedom's across the sea. We were talking last night. That don't mean there's not challenges when they get across the sea. But there's things that's not going to leave your life. This mind's not going to heal. It's not going to clear up. Things are not going to get in order until you put your faith into your feet. I'm preaching to myself. I wish I had a mirror. The longer we avoid it, the longer they avoided walking, Casey, the longer they avoided getting into that water, the longer we're going to stay stuck in our feelings. We stay stuck in our feelings. You know what happens? We delay Yahweh's miracle in our life. If I stay stuck where I'm at, I'm sure there's some scientific things that happens with fear and anxiety in our body. True? If I stay stuck there, I'm going to delay. Don't mean his miracle's not coming, but I can delay it. I can, my fear can delay what he's trying to do in my life and my family's life. And that can affect what goes on in here with this community. Now, Absolutely. She said the closer they stood still, the closer the enemy got on their back. At least the closer he was in that rearview mirror. Yahweh wants a distance. He, matter of fact, he don't even want us being able to see them anymore. This ain't about, um, I'm going to protect you from them when they're in your presence. He don't even want you remembering these dudes. And you stay stuck, and you're going to delay it. Your C, remember spiritual eyes that I asked you to put think through? Your C may be a person. Your C may be a situation you're facing right this minute that nobody will ever know about. But you can't stay still. Because Yahweh's telling you, He's telling us to what? Move forward. The longer we stand here, the more stagnant we can become. Do you know what stagnant means? Stagnant means, I was blown away when I pulled the 1828 this morning up, 1828 dictionary. Stagnant means to cease to flow or to be motionless. The longer we stand there, the longer we're trapped, the less He can move through us. You got to get to faith in them feet and you got to move forward. Because if I stay there stuck, he can't move through me to help you. Vice versa. If you stay stuck, Mark, you can't help me. You've got to walk on his word. As long as we stay on the west side of this sea, which is the side they were on for those that's geographically challenged, as long as you stay on this west side in your mind, just what we just said, you're always going to be able to see that enemy. We got to take our thoughts, Captain, and remind Satan that we are blood-bought children of our king. And he's got no power in our life. But we got a job to do. We got to get them feet moving. In closing, I want to say this. This day is about victory. This day is about triumph. This day is about giving Him glory.
This day in our history was about being fully set free. Being free to show love and compassion and forgiveness. Because do you realize that that's the only way we can be His image on this earth? Because when you look at Yeshua's actions towards people, the ones that loved Him and the ones that hated Him, that's what it means to be an image bearer on this earth. It's not some super deep spiritual thing. It is, can you show love and compassion to be His image? Because I'm going to leave you with one statement for those that like to write things down. I've got this one saved in some quotes. You may not be over it, but Yahweh's going to take you through it. But you've got to move forward. He's opened that sea. He's telling us to move forward. This goes along with so many words that's been given the last several weeks. I've never been more calm to get up here after hearing everything I've heard because it's like I have so much doubt about am I hearing things in my own mind? Am I just writing my own feelings out trying to help other people? But when he lines things up so much ahead of time, it makes our job easy when you got to get up here. So there's true victory on the other side of that sea. And you see them all dancing and praising his name together. And that's where we all need to desire to be. And if y'all don't mind, I'm going to close with, with one short prayer. And it says this, May his great name grow exalted. And be sanctified in this world that He created as He willed. And may He give reign to His kingship in our lifetimes and in our day. And in the lifetimes of the entire family of Israel. Swiftly and soon come Israel.